Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast. My name is Paul Ellis, and I'm your host for these programs about developments in this fast-growing industry. Today's podcast guests are a trio of leaders engaged in community economic development. John Holdsclaw IV, Gloria Mirioni, and Harold Pettigrew Jr. are on a mission to lift the banner of Capital Meets Purpose. And I'll ask Harold and John to share their thoughts on this theme for the upcoming 39th Annual Opportunity Finance Network Conference next month. But first, I want our followers to know that John, who's the president and CEO of Rochdale Capital, and Harold, the president and CEO of Opportunity Finance Network, join this episode at Gloria's request. So I want to say a few words about our sponsor, Acre where Gloria leads the sustainable finance and impact investing team for the Americas. If you're tuning into this podcast, then you already understand the crucial role finance plays in the transition to a sustainable future. With the right individuals leading the way in top companies, sustainability becomes more than just a buzzword. That's why we're excited to have Acre as our sponsor. As a world-leading sustainability search and recruitment company, Acre enables organizations to create real change by embedding and developing purpose-driven people in their teams. Visit the Acre website to learn more about their latest opportunities or to get in touch about building your perfect team. Hello, John, Gloria, and Harold, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Thanks for having us, Paul. Thanks for having us, Paul. Yes, it's our great pleasure to have you join us today. And we're going to start by asking Harold first to tell us about the Opportunity Finance Network Conference and uh, from the perspective of the convener. And then, uh, John, I'll ask you to chime in as someone who attends every year. Go ahead. Absolutely, Paul. Thank you. Uh, Happy to be here and happy to talk about the conference. Uh, Every year, OFN, the Opportunity Finance Network, uh, holds a premier convening for the community development finance industry. This is where over 2,100 uh, people come to attend uh, to talk through uh, different challenges and areas of investment in small business and housing and, you know, from grocery stores and food deserts to community facilities and healthcare facilities, um, and as well climate. Uh, which is a a big topic of focus across our industry. Uh, We're going to be convening in Washington, D.C., October 15th through the 18th, and tickets are selling pretty hot uh, for this. So we we anticipate a sellout for the conference. Um, And so we certainly encourage uh, from public to private corporate uh, partners and stakeholders uh, to join us in the discussion. Great. John, tell us about the conference from the point of view of someone who attends every year. Thank you again, Paul, and thank you, Gloria. And I'm always honored to be on anything with Harold. He's far more eloquent than I am. This is the Super Bowl of CDFI conferences. (laughs) This is the one that you have to I plan my outfits. I have everything down to, you know, the very minute. I mean, it is the one place where you get not only CDFI practitioners, but you also get the foundations. You also get government agencies. You also get, um, you know, mainstream banks. Um, and so again, it's that one opportunity um, to bring everyone together. Uh, uh, and it's 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 that one can't miss. My, my wife may not know all the conferences that I go to, but the first thing she asked me is, "When is OFN in October?" Because she knows that's the one I'm going to be gone to from probably 
Monday or Sunday to Friday. So it's 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 the conference to attend if you are a CDFI. Terrific. Well, thanks for that. Thanks for that uh, big vote of confidence. And Gloria, I'm going to ask you to start with our first question. Uh, what is a CDFI? Uh, you, you brought these two uh, great guests uh, in for this program. Tell us, uh, tell us about your perspective on what they do. Well, thank you for, for asking. And, you know, quite frankly, I think, you know, I, I want to thank my, my guests. I'm super thrilled about, you know, bringing you both together and, you know, in, in a world of, of, you know, really impactful leaders. I'm, I'm just so glad that, that the both of you were able to join. Look, I think, you know, for my, my career, I've spent a lot of time helping organizations, specifically financial institutions, find, identify, even help develop their talent. And, you know, in, you know, for CDFIs, I became, you know, aware, supportive of CDFIs probably about 10 years ago, maybe a little bit longer. And, you know, what I've noticed is that, you know, the talent that CDFIs have and need is just so critical for the communities that they support. It, it, it just is so critical. And, you know, given what CDFIs do, uh, and the explanation that that Harold and, and John both made, you know, to me, it's it's not only part of what I do, but it's embedded in who I am. So I think that really, I think, underscores the the reason why I brought these these two together and why I'm committed to uh, ensuring that CDFIs are successful. Terrific. So, Harold, well, what, what's your reason for operating a CDFI uh, uh, as the CEO and president? And uh, in addition to that, putting on a conference like you do every year. Absolutely. And, and I'm happy to baseline a little bit, too. So CDFIs, uh, you know, the secret is kind of in the name, Community Development Financial Institutions. And when you think about CD, that gives you the mission. But we're financial institutions. Our primary focus is to make sure that capital is getting to places, and this is people and communities all across the country that can't access traditional capital. That's that's the simplest articulation. So you have organizations across the country, over 1,400, uh, that are committed to this purpose, that are uh, all in common cause to make sure uh, that capital is reaching uh, parts of the country where it's needed most. Uh, this comes in the form of community development banks, community development credit unions, uh, community development venture capital funds, as well as community development loan funds and green banks, you know, and so just to bring it all together, that this tapestry of these, all of these different types of organizations all fall under the banner of CDFI. All of our organizations are designated by Treasury, and so it's not just a, a self-designation. It's actually uh, verified annually through certification uh, that we are meeting mission, that we're investing resources uh, in communities that ultimately need it most. Um, and so it's a designation by uh, the Department of Treasury and the CDFI fund itself uh, that we are mission-driven institutions uh, investing all across the country. It's an industry that represents over $250 billion in assets under management. Um, and it's probably closer to $500, million, uh, $500 billion, uh, when you look at total assets on balance sheet and off balance sheet. And so when you look at all the areas of investment across the country, as I mentioned in parallel to the conference, small business, housing, uh, climate and, and sustainable finance to uh, uh, grocery stores, and you, you name the asset class, uh, CDFIs are invested. Um, and so that's, that's what the industry represents, um, financial institutions that are all mission driven. 
Terrific. So now, John, I'm going to ask you to uh, um, look at the role for our followers that CDFIs play and can continue to play in the world of ESG and sustainable finance. Tell, let's talk about that a little bit. Definitely. And it's, it's a great question, Paul. I mean, I, you know, when I think about CDFIs, I think about them as the first resort or the last resort uh, for any prospective borrower, entrepreneur, community-based organization. And so I think when you look at the whole sustainability piece around ESG and others that is on the rise and is 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 everywhere you look, you know, you see whether this job is um, either somebody's hiring an ESG person here, somebody's hiring an ESG person here, you've got the, the greenhouse gas uh, reduction fund uh, money that's going to be coming out here really soon. That's going to be transformative to a lot of the under-resourced communities that we serve. You know, I, I, I'll say one thing just to, to piggyback on Harold. I, I think during COVID, I think, you know, CDFIs have been around for a while, but I think CDFIs really earned that mantra uh, or that title of being financial first responders. And so it only makes sense that uh, in this next phase, uh, as we think about ESG and sustainability and the financing of that, that CDFIs have a place there as well, you know. And so, again, one of the things you'll notice about me is that you'll never hear me say low income. You'll never hear me say a moderate income. You always hear me say under resourced because at the end of the day, the communities that we serve all want access to something. And so I think that this is just another chapter um, in regards to creating that access, um, be it community solar, be it um, uh, uh, be it uh, addressing equity issues as it relates to, you know, things that have happened in like Flint, Michigan and other places where you have, you know, in institutional and systematic racism that has robbed communities of so much uh, for so long. Um, you know, again, I just think that it's just the, the, the next step and my challenge to my CDFI uh, compadres is, you know, we need to upskill and learn about all of these things from a sustainability standpoint for us to really be uh, effective. And so I just think that it's just a, um, an obvious next step for us as a movement um, that we take part in this very important uh, part of society that's coming on very strongly right now. Great. So now, um, Harold, can you identify the biggest obstacles that CDFIs are facing to make impact in, in ESG and with the sustainable uh, investment uh, and impact industry? Absolutely. And just coming off of John's comments, you know, there's a couple of things to, to lift up about the industry, right? Like we, we, we're working in the places where, uh, as John mentioned, our most under-resourced. So our, our challenge day in and day out uh, is making sure that capital not only reach those people, but reach, reach communities, like I said, where it's needed most. And so what we do day in and day out, just to level set, like roughly 83% of CDFI clients uh, are, are, are low wealth, low income, underserved. And I know and, and I, I take your point too, John, and that's ultimately what we're talking about is being distributors of resources, you know, to places ultimately. But the intention behind it, I do think requires us to call it out. You know, that what we are talking about is uh, the importance of investing in communities of color, investing in those that have uh, not been able to access the benefits and uh, the, the the positives of growing their income and wealth uh, within our, our financial system. We have to be intentional about where we're investing. And that's where CDFIs flourish. 30% of our investments are in rural communities. 
over 60% are with people and communities of color. And so what we do day in and day out uh, has intention because the only way that you can combat intention is with intention. You know, and so that's important. That's extremely important for us. One, one other point just to mention, and yeah, there, there are challenges, you know, to helping communities to transition uh, into a clean energy future. There's plenty of challenges. One, the evolution of technology and for all of us just getting on board and understanding what those are. Uh, two, you know, clean energy transition is you know, kind of the next wave of investment that's coming down. I think it's not just a challenge for CDFIs, but our entire financial industry uh, and, and system to begin adjusting to make sure that our communities aren't left behind. Because we know that that typically happens when we have infusions of major capital. You look at the waves of industrial uh, revolution and change that's happened over the, the last number of centuries. We've seen our communities left behind. And so our charge has been to make sure that our communities aren't left behind and that we are, as John mentioned, not only financial first responders when there's a disaster or disruption, but every day, you know, to make sure that capital is flowing. And that's been our charge uh, overall. You have no better example of that than what John has been leading at Rochdale, you know, and making sure not only through concept, but through intention that from community ownership and small business and housing, you know, conceptually what John has been leading and the impact that the Rochdale team has had has been instrumental. It's just one example of over 1400 across the country of organizations and leaders that are deeply committed uh, to move to move the dial in our communities. Great. So now, Gloria, you said you've been working with this industry for many years as well. Give us your perspective on what the obstacles are today. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I, I probably can't say it any better than, than John and, and Harold just did. Um, but what I will add is that, you know, is, is watching the, you know, the several crises, right, that we've had over the last, let's call it, you know, just in, in my career, 20 years, you know, Katrina, uh, the the uh, housing crisis of 09 and 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 then and then COVID, right? You know, just watching some of those those crises and the and the impact and the the critical uh, support that CDFIs gave to to communities, I think you know is uh, is in itself in and of itself a, a great explanation. Um, you know, and and. What I'm here to do, I think, and the perspective I can give, and, I'll, and it'll be a question that I'll ask and pose to John and Harold is, you know, how from the talent perspective, right, can someone like me be helpful? Because in order to, to, to execute on a purpose or a mission, right, you need to have the people behind it. So, you know, and I think that to me is, is where I, you know, and, and my commitment and my passion is, is to make sure that we can enable those CDFIs across the country to get to get to the the underserved and under-resourced areas and to make sure that there are people being creative and getting behind what uh, CDFIs stand for. Okay. So John and Harold, the CDFI fund was signed into law September 23rd of 1994. Can each of you give us an example of what the impact of that fund has been in your experience and in your communities during the last almost 30 years now? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy to take that that first one. I'm, and I will say uh, for the audience that I'm a re recovering government relations professional. So um, <laughs> don't judge me. But, um, you know, I, I think when the Regal Act was 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 uh, uh, passed, and, I, and, and what a lot of people may not know is that uh, uh, President Clinton at the time modeled um, the, the CDFI 
fun after the work that Shorebank had done in Chicago. He started Southern Bank Corps in uh, in Arkansas and, and and the rest of history. And you know, and one of the things that Harold talked about before in regards to the assets under management and whatnot, you've all you've also seen a forty percent increase in the number of CDFIs since uh, twenty nineteen. But I think that um, you know. Um, you know, just like everything, once 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 people hear about the impact, once people hear about um, the things that they're doing, and, and just to piggyback on the last question about um, what the biggest obstacles are, and for for someone like us as a loan fund, it's always going to be access to capital, and so I think this is where corporate and, and philanthropic uh, folks can uh, help out tremendously. Listen, I I was a government relations professional for years and asked people for billions of dollars, but it's harder for me to ask for a $50,000 planning grant than any other thing that I've done in my career because it's all very new. And and just I just wanted to quickly give two examples, and I want to thank Harold for the kind words. He's, uh, I can't take credit for this. This is a marvelous thing, but he definitely has been an amazing a partner in purpose, and number one, and, and while I may have a few years on him, has really uh, helped me tremendously and served in a mentor role uh, as a new C CEO. But we just did an amazing loan in Lewiston, Maine. Um, they found out in this one part of um, the, the 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 town where it has a high population of minority uh, and a very high Islamic uh, population as well, is that all of the students were performing very bad in in, in standardized tests. We'll come to find out that many of the students were suffering from lead poisoning and the lead poisoning was causing these stores to be um, as bad as they were. So the John T. Gorman Foundation came in and really invested. Again, here's a philanthropic uh, entity that came in and invested in this community. And so one of the things that we just did was we just closed a deal on a, a 10 unit affordable housing um, uh, deal there on Pine Street. But what made it fascinating was that because it's the Islamic community, they don't believe in interest. So we had to make it a fee based, a fee based loan. And so there's no interest there. And so so this is another thing that I wanted to say about the differentiation of what we do as an organizations. You know, our loan committee will say, look, put it out there and then they'll start rolling up their sleeves and they'll 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 give it their best shot um, um, to try to get us um, to close a loan or get a loan approved. Doesn't always happen, but again, I, I would rather have that effort than not have it at all. But again, if that's not a modern uh, example of what ESG means to communities, if, if somebody would have just said, well, their tests are not good and, you know, this stuff kind of stuff happens and didn't dig a little deeper to figure out that that lead problem was there, uh, you know, who, who, who would have taken that on? And again, this wasn't a huge loan. It was $412,000. And, um, but again, it, it transformed that that uh, um, 10 units of affordable housing for, for for those folks. And we were able to do that. So I just wanted to, that might've been eight answers in one question, but Harold's saying some great things and I'm, my, my mind is going. And so I just want to make a few more touch points. Um, but the Regal Act in my mind uh, will always go down as one of the most important pieces of legislation since the New Deal to help uh, the under-resourced communities uh, today. Uh, it, uh, I can't say that enough. Okay. So, Harold, uh, if we look at your work, uh, and John as well, through a racial equity lens, how can ESG be used to improve it in this country today? 
Yeah, and I think that I think is is wonderful coming off of John's example, and it gives a a great uh, lens into the secret sauce, you know, of why uh, the from a community development finance standpoint, CDFIs across the country are so important. It's not only that we're anchored in mission, but also the creativity that's needed to get capital where where it ultimately needs to be in under resourced communities, right? And so when you look at that lens. Uh, particularly from a social standpoint, the intention in which the 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 industry moves to invest in communities of color uh, is is important and is central to our work. I mentioned before, eighty three percent or sixty percent rather uh, of our investments are in communities of color. I led a CDFI before coming to uh, OFN. Led it for seven years. We were investing over ninety percent from a small business standpoint, into entrepreneurs of color, specifically Black entrepreneurs, because we knew there was an economic imperative in the Washington, D.C. region, uh, specifically when you look at the racial wealth divide. And so it was important for us to align our investments with where the challenges were most. And we know definitively that we have issues in our country along racial lines. The racial wealth divide uh, is pervasive across the country in every community uh, that, that we face across the country. And so ESG is important, but it's important to drill down in terms of what that means. I always like to, you'll hear me say often in my public comments that, you know, words matter, intention matters, you know? And so when we talk about uh, the S, the, the social element, what do we mean by that? Specifically, we have to have a racial lens to how we invest. For moral reasons, yes, we can, we can attack it from that lens, but I often insert this lens too. What if we unlock the fullest of potential in our communities across the country through investment? We've been succeeding as a country despite of our ability to get beyond ourselves, you know, particularly with racism and the racism that's built into our financial systems and everything else. What if we got beyond that? What we could do as a country? And so so many different reasons as to why from a financial standpoint, from a business standpoint. But then when you just think about what's ultimately right for us to do because of our history as a country, it's important for us to be very intentional, not only about social investments, but specifically about investments in race uh, that have a racial lens to them. Okay, John, any other comments? Hey, uh, listen, I, I often say in my uh, 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 public comments about Rochdale, and it doesn't always make me the bell of the ball, but I say that we are an unapologetically Black-led CDFI um, mm -hmm. that takes great pride and uh leading its uh you know living its brand and we have primarily a minority uh or women owned or veteran owned ventures and contractors we try to go out of our way to do that um we have our board meetings and and our uh operations manager will go out to the black latino owned bakery to to buy the refreshments for the day because we just feel that's very important and so when we look at things from a racial equity lens, listen, every day we get further and further away from the tragic murder of George Floyd. Um, all of the efforts in this country, um, you know, in regards to diversity, equity, inclusion. I, I read somewhere where uh, some bank, some, some not bank, some organization had hired a chief diversity officer and then 30 days later they let her go. And so one third of those positions that came up in 2022, um, you know, they are, they're no longer there. And so uh, something has to change. And so this is where I feel strongly that the CDFI movement must continue to lead by example um, for, by the communities that they serve, by the people they employ, 
by the, the the folks that are on their boards. I, I had a chance to spend time at OFN's um, uh, Small Business Finance Forum in Chicago. First time in 10 years I've ever had a chance to go. But the number of, of, of Black and Latino and AAPI and Indigenous new CEOs there really made me realize two things. It made me realize that the future of this movement is, is, is strong and that I was the oldest person amongst all of them. So I guess I don't know what generation that puts me in, but uh, uh, definitely uh, felt like the old man sitting up on the hill, but it, it's important. And I think it's something that um, while others may uh, uh, fall off or, or, or start to stop making that very important that we need to continue to lead by example. And I know as long as Harold Pettigrew was the head of OFN, that that's always going to remain um, a constant. And um, you know, I will always remain in that fight as well. So um, that's uh, that's uh, very important to me. And thank you for letting me chime in on that, Paul. Sure, sure. Paul, Gloria, you, mind, you, mind if I, you mind if I go, jump go, on? Go to ahead. Go right ahead. I don't want to interrupt the flow, but I, I think what, what important what John says is it, it couldn't be more important, not only to to, to stay here, but to to reinforce it's it's our mission to carry it out, but not to carry it out alone. The point that John mentioned earlier, I think is an important one. And I think for your listeners where there is the ability to invest, if there's a desire to be focused on commu uh, community investment, if there's a desire to have impact on these issue areas that we've outlined, we, we launched two years ago, Finance Justice Fund, specifically with the lens of investing in racial, climate, and economic justice, and making sure that there's vehicles to get capital to folks like John who are doing it and making it happen on the ground. Because like he said, and I can tell you this from when I, I led a CDFI set for seven years, having dynamic partnerships where capital is flowing into, the, into our institutions is where we make the most impact. We carry the burden because of our mission and desires to be in this industry. And it's an industry, by the way, our membership is roughly a low, uh, four, over 400 organizations, over 400 CDFIs. That's 10,000 employees just in our membership alone. And so when you look at the impact overall of folks that are on the ground helping to deploy capital into communities, you know, it's pretty significant. We need partners to be able to do that um, from philanthropies to family offices to foundations corporate philanthropy, as well as corporate investment, uh, we already leverage a lot of uh, uh, public investment. And with that public investment, every $1 that we have invested, we ultimately leverage that from anywhere from 4 to $8 more in, in, in investment. We need partners at the table to make sure that impact stories like John's can continue. And Gloria, from your perspective as one of those partners, Share with us your thoughts before we move on and uh, close out today's program. Mm. You know, I want to just step back a second and and just comment on the you know the DE and I uh, um, effort and the and the comment that um, that John made and, and and Harold followed up with. I think you know I think the commitment by the the, the banking industry. Um, you know, it, it was sad to hear John. You know about that that example you you made. Uh, or gave that you know there was a DEI you know a chief diversity officer put in place and 30 days later you know that that was that was gone i think you know it's it's the con consistency right i think consistency is what really right it, it helps you with your working out it helps you with your diet it helps you with everything and i think consistent effort and consistent 
uh, consistent commitment toward DEI within organizations is is what's going to move the needle. You know, we did uh, Acre Acre conducted a sustainability census this year, uh, and we had fourteen. I believe we had fourteen hundred respondents globally. Not enough, obviously, not enough. But in terms of one of the the metrics that we communicated to to our our clients and to our our partners, you know there was approximately 60% of banking respondents. And again, we didn't segment out CDFIs, but banking respondents who said that the public commitments were moderately effective as it related to promoting DEI internally, right? Moderately effective. Um, the, the balance were, uh, and, and it was over 25% that basically were, felt that their organizations were uncommitted they were unsure or publicly committed, but ineffective. Okay. So, and the, and, and it was 25% that felt that they were publicly committed and some, and, and somewhat effective. So I think we have a lot of work to do, right. To, to, to Harold's point, we have a tremendous amount of work to do uh, to move the needle. So I, I just, I just wanted to make that, that point And just also to say that, you know, we're thinking about this. Acre is thinking about this also. You know, how do we move the needle? How do we, how do we, how do we align purpose with you know some of the action that needs to take place to uh, be effective in the mission? So anyway, I just wanted to to make that that comment and you know to 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 I guess the great the the more broad question, Paul, that that you asked. I think I'm extremely committed to this to this part of the banking industry you know as i said my career has served financial institutions globally and broadly over uh over 20 plus years so however i can be effective right you know and and hearing some of these stories and and how john is on the ground right just as harold was for seven years you know there are there are challenges every day right whether it's whether it's you know credit challenges lending challenges people challenges, right? Talent challenges, right? In order to make sure that those communities that are underserved and those entrepreneurs, business owners, right, are getting the 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 capital that that they so necessarily need or so necessary need to 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 move the needles for their communities. So anyway, I, I think that's the probably the best answer I can give. Uh, I'm not sitting there making loans on John's team, right? But I know that it is critical that John have the right the right team members, just as you know the the 400 CDFIs that are part of the OFN network need their 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 talent, right? Because it's how you align to me how you align your your mission and your purpose is really by ensuring that you have the right people to help drive that. Okay, well, listen for all three of you. Let's let's let our listeners know where online. Uh, they can learn more about Rochdale Capital, Opportunity Finance Network, and Acre. And how can followers of the Sustainable Finance Podcast contact you individually with questions about the topics that we've discussed in today's episode? And Gloria, let's start with you. So, yeah, I'll, I'll make it quick. Um, you know, please uh, go to the Acre website, reach out to me, reach out to me on LinkedIn. Happy to share uh, any any details about our, our firm, but also just have a further conversation about this and any of the other topics that we've we've uh, discussed over the Sustainable Finance Podcast uh, um, episodes. Great. Off to you, mm -hmm. John. Uh, thanks so much, Paul. I, I would say the same. Um, uh, look up 
uh, make sure it's John Hostclaw the Fourth on LinkedIn, uh, as well as um, go to the RochdaleCapital.org website. We have a contact us uh, form there that you can um, uh, fill out. We, we 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 do read those, and and you will always get a response uh, from us, uh, um, and and then any other social media um, uh, things. And then if you see me walking in the hall at OFN, um, stop me and uh, let's have a conversation. And um, again, um, uh, I'm a big believer in uh, touch points are built uh, one handshake at a time. And I always tell people and people get tired of hearing it, but I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I do have a drawer full of knives. And so I, <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, Harold, how can folks get in, get in touch with you? Happy to, happy to. Uh, so OFN is an organization manages over a billion dollars in total assets. We do that through strategic partnerships and making sure that we get capital to invest in organizations like John, uh, the ones that John, the one that John is leading. So happy to entertain any partnerships. You can find us at uh, www.ofn.org uh, conference registration right now. You can go to that website and find all that you would like to know about OFN as an institution, our network, stories of impact, ways to invest, um, to find me, LinkedIn, Harold Pettigrew. Pretty, I'm pretty easy guy to find. Um, send me a note, always open to talking through uh, strategic partnerships. Okay, great. Well, listen, if there are any links that we can add or attach to this program, please have your uh, team send those to us and they'll uh, be in the attachments tab at the Bright Talk uh, channel. And I wanna thank you all, John, Gloria, and Harold. And for our listeners, if you're ready to take your team to the next level, or if you're an experienced sustainability professional, visit the Acre website to get in touch. With the right individuals leading the way in your company, sustainability becomes more than a buzzword. Let Acre enable real change by embedding and developing purpose-driven people in your teams. And to our followers, join us again next week for another episode. I'm Paul Ellis, and this is the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Thank you.